Just stop it. The run-of-the-mill cheesy humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women with arrows in their backs who go through hell to achieve their goals. They'll go through anything to make it. They bathe in hell and high water, a cut above. They're intolerant to mediocrity, the status quo, and yet they're the nicest people you'll ever meet. This is Disruption Interruption. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. This show is sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we're here today to talk to another industry leader that has steered off the lame, tired path of the status quo. Today's guest is a retirement law enforcement officer. He's studied constitutional law for over 15 years. He's personally trained over 30,000 police officers around the country. I don't know how he does it. (laughs) He has an associate's degree from the College of Southern Nevada, both a bachelor's and master's degree from Harvard University in liberal arts and government, respectively. He's an adjunct professor at Great Basin College and also the author of multiple best-selling publications. But we are talking to him today because in our highly litigious world, a cop cannot just be a cop. He or she has to be as knowledgeable or almost as knowledgeable as an attorney to do their job correctly and safely. Our guest is dedicated to helping and protecting law enforcement so they can do their job to help and protect us. Coming to us live from Spokane, Washington, please welcome our disruptor, owner at Blue and Gold Law Enforcement Training, Anthony Bandiero. Thank you. It's glad to be here. Anthony, do you go by Tony or Anthony? I forgot to ask. Well, look, if you are on the East Coast, especially from New York, you got to say Tony, Tony, but most people call me Anthony. But <laughs> Okay, great. <laughs> well, being the Southern Belle I am, I will call you Anthony. There you go. So tell us, Anthony, tell our listeners before we get into this. What is your main personal ingredient for disruptive innovation? Passion for search and seizure. And we can go into like what that really means in the law enforcement context. But that ingredient right there became the reason why I'm disrupting this industry, law enforcement. Passion for search and seizure. So so ultimately, it's passion. You have a you have an undying passion for this, right? For definitely for search and seizure, that specific, you know, area of the law. Let's get into that then, because that's a great segue into the status quo. Like, why search and seizure? And, you know, let's talk about the status quo of being a police officer today. What are the issues? What are the controversies? What are the problems? Like, it's changed, obviously, right? It has. Let me unpack this a little bit, you know, and I think it's important to have a little historical context. You know, for those listeners and viewers that have not walked in the shoes of a law enforcement officer, Let me just kind of share with you what is the status quo. The status quo is that law enforcement officers first have always like the level of expectations, you know, for a law enforcement officer are just increasing daily. We expect law enforcement officers to perform at a very high level because the stakes are so high. I mean, if I call the cops because I have a son who is out of control, right, whether it's because of mental disabilities, maybe, um, you know, my son is on drugs or something like that. And the thing is, I'm calling law enforcement to help me. And the stakes are very high because if the law enforcement officers get that wrong, 
my son could get hurt. The cops could get hurt, right? So the stakes are very high. So I need officers, even me, and this is Anthony talking, like I love law enforcement. I love the profession. I love the people. But I expect high performance. Now, it wasn't always that way. Law enforcement really start off as unskilled labor, right? You think of the colonial days, they called it hue and cry. You know, you had a person who was voluntold, hey, Johnny, it's your time to go do the, the night watch, look for horse thieves and fires, right? And Game then of Thrones. The Game of Thrones, <laughs> right? Horse thieves. And so there was no skill there. There was no not a lot of expectations. And then you had the Industrial Revolution. And, you know, you had union strife and you had worker strife. And, of course, the, the capitalists wanted professionalized police force to help keep the order. Then you start to have some training. So we started rising up law enforcement to the skilled level, you know, apprentice and so forth. And then you had the 1960s and then you had today. There, Since the 1960s, there's been a massive push by various levels and various degrees to actually have law enforcement officers be more considered like a true professional, right? A person like, I like to say up there with doctors and lawyers. I know that's saying a lot, but the reality is that people have high expectations for their lawyers, their doctors, their pilots. You know, we don't really accept pilots having bad days because if they have bad days, people can die, right? Well, think about the law enforcement officer. If the law enforcement officer shows up to work and has a bad day, people can die, right? And so that's the floor. Now, the next thing I want to share with you that's in more line with what I do is use of force and the Fourth Amendment. When you look at the Fourth Amendment, um, for those people who've never even read the Fourth Amendment, it's just 54 words. And it what really is just the Fourth is, Amendment. The Fourth Amendment to the Bill of Rights. Yes. Right? The right what of the people. Is that? Well, it's it's it says that the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable shirts and seizures shall not be infringed. Then it exactly. also talks about um, and it talks about exactly. The, and you know, I wanted you to say that for our listeners because while we have a very educated public, not many yeah. people know that. No, and probably they've never experienced the criminal justice system. Right. Um, most people don't even read the 5,000 or so words of the Constitution. But just think about this. And this is one of my things that I teach my students. And I say students, I'm talking about law enforcement officers, is that a law enforcement officer's behavior is essentially 100% controlled by those 54 words, right? Well, when you ask a lawyer or you ask a police officer, what is prohibited by the Fourth Amendment? It's only one thing. It's unreasonable searches and seizures. That but really leads million, it up to judgment, though. Of course. And that's the million dollar question. That's the million so, dollar question. What does it mean to be unreasonable? Well, that's, of course, my job. But when you look at the Fourth Amendment, there's two basically overarching themes in there. There's use of force, shooting somebody, tasing somebody, putting handcuffs on somebody. Those are all, you know, obviously uses of force in varying degrees. The other thing is search and seizure. When can you enter a home without a warrant? When can you search a car? When can you put hands on somebody to search for weapons, right, during a detention? But if you think about it, think about this. Since the 1970s, there's been a huge, massive push on use of force training. And the reason was, is quite frankly, cops were getting killed at an alarming rate in the 1970s and, and late 60s. A lot of strife, the civil rights movements, and then also just a lot of uptick in crime. That's when the war on drugs started. And you would have cops walking up to cars and, you know, for let's say they stopped some bank robbers, you would have 
old school cops like, hey, all right, come on, guys, step on out. And they would get shot. And then, you know, departments are like, this is ridiculous. We can do better than this. You know, call them to us. OK, let's fast forward uh, about 30 years. When you look at training budgets and when you look at what kind of classes cops are taking, what kind of classes they want to take, where is their mentality? They get a bunch of use of force training in a career. OK, it is not unfair to say that in a career, an officer gets over a thousand hours of use of force training in the vast majority of states. They have to train and use of force every single year. Now, how many hours per year? It varies by state. You know, some states are 40 hours per year. That's not just use of force. That is, that could be use of force, the shooting, they call it defensive tactics, driving, sexual harassment, dealing with people with mental disabilities or, you know, but they just get a lot. But a lot of the training, especially the, what we call in-service training and advanced training, a lot of it is focused on use of force. I think we can appreciate why, right? Because there's a saying in the business, right? Officers want to go home at night, right? So they'll go into a, a defensive tactics class. This is where the cops will learn, you know, how to put hands on somebody safely, how to get them in control, how to not get, you know, overtaken by a suspect that's a different size. And you'll have instructors say things like, hey, take this training seriously because this is what gets you home at night. Tell these cops, hey, look, that is absolutely, I mean, if you're not going home at night, what I'm teaching doesn't matter. But the statement, go home at night, is only half the story. Because the other half is when you go home at night, I'm here to make sure that you wake up in your own bed, you have a job in the morning, and if you get sued, you win, right? Because it is not a win for law enforcement for them just to go at home, you know, no matter what, and just do whatever they need to do because th there's a law in place. I mean, I look at George Floyd. There were four cops on scene on that incident, right? All four went home that night. And all four woke up figuratively, and not literally, but figuratively woke up in a jail cell. Their lives are ruined. They cost billions of dollars in not only monetary damage, but just in public perception of law enforcement. They caused so much damage to the profession, but yet they all went home at night. So my job, I like to say 51% of your job, officers, is to go home at night. That, to, to, as far as your investment into training and so forth. The other 49% is knowing the law. I want to make a few comments there because knowing yeah. the law has ratcheted up to 49% from almost nil back in historical days. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And we are, let's talk about this. So we have the war on drugs. We have, you know, all the civil rights movement back in the sixties and seventies, but now fast forward to today, we have a highly complex society in the sense that we have more drugs than ever. We have more medicinal and mental health drugs than ever. We have mental health issues. We have so much legal and litigation going on, right? I don't know how many laws are in the books and how many new come out every year, right? So for someone to be able to have judgment, what you're not only battling here from what I'm listening is you're battling all that, but you're battling an old stigma of what a cop used to be. Yes. It's almost like the truck driver, like today's truck yep. drivers are educated, yep. <laughs> you know, highly yep. technical, younger, but it seems like you're doing that. And having to have no 49% of the law means they, in judgment indicates you have to be able to observe, decide, and then act. Yep. And your cops have to do that in, I would say, split seconds, nanoseconds, like 
in many cases. Am I right or wrong? You're hundred percent right. But let me just tell you, like, there are some trainers out there and, you know, a lot of them I completely respect and I emulate and I, and I, but there are some other instructors that I look at them and I'm saying, you're an effing dinosaur. Like you are literally a walking dinosaur, the way that you talk, the way that you think and what it is, what separates what we need as a vision for our profession, like what we need as a profession versus the old stuff is the mentality of what you're doing out there, you know, because are you a public, like, what's your mentality? Are you a public servant? Number one, right? There is a problem with power. You know, I mean, even I, when I, before, when I, when I was, you know, I was a trooper, sergeant. I got to tell you, when I first got that badge, I was a little heavy with it. You know, I was a little heavy. I would, I would blow things out of proportion. You know, people would get lippy with me. And, I, and as a consequence, <laughs> I would, you know, hammer them, you know, just give them, you know, whereas maybe initially I was just going to give them a warning, but because you got to go a little lip with me, I'm going to give you. And the thing is, that's a very immature way of looking at it. I mean, mm-hmm. having that that position of power. But the other thing I got to tell you is de-escalation. I know it's thrown around a lot, but it really is so important. I mean, to me, a mature, modern, professional law enforcement officer is arriving on scene with the mentality. I'm going to do whatever I can, if it's possible to talk this person into handcuffs or to talk this person to go get some medical attention for mental illness and so forth. The last thing I want to do is use force. I will use it if I have to, because obviously that I am, there, there is a, a stopgap here, right? Because that's what law enforcement ultimately is allowed to do is force. But, but I see so many cops still with this mentality of just going in hot and heavy, using a lot of force. When I looking at it and personally believe that the tactics could have been a little different and maybe a, a better outcome. But we that's that's the future right there. That makes total sense. So you have this communication strategy versus force, but with the intelligent approach that when necessary and no other option, force can be used. That's what we want. Now, we do. I mean, you have actually, to have a mix of intelligence with force. You I mean, have to. Any society, any in history, right, that have decided they're never using force have been annihilated. And those that only use force end up also being annihilated, right? There has to be this balance. There has to be. And, you know, quite frankly, it doesn't take a lot of brains to to use a lot of force. I mean, you know. (laughs) No, it doesn't. You know, I is mean, that what the dinosaurs are doing? They're just that's their motto. That's bashing people, or maybe the caveman and so forth. You know, but at the same time, you know, that's why it says fifty-one forty-nine. You know, I'm just trying to say when it comes to what you're investing your time in as a law enforcement officer and as as a community. This is not just a podcast for cops, right? This is also for members of the community. What do you yeah. want your cops investing their time in? You clearly have to give them the skills they need to physically survive and. Um, watch videos where cops faced with very tough situations. They have to have the equipment, the tactics, the mindset to get through that. But we also don't forget the other side is, is the de-escalation, the, the law, right? You did talk about how cops have to be as smart as lawyers. It's actually even harder than that because lawyers don't really rarely act under pressure. I mean, you know, when, when in the courtroom, they have to make split second judgments on legal issues. But nobody's life is on the line. Cops are really a whole different bag. I mean, they are literally making decisions that do result in life and death. 
And here's another thing I'll, I'll prove to you that lawyers don't have the skill set to be cops. And this is what I mean by this. Police officers watching this will attest to this. I cannot tell you how many times we've had prosecutors teach police officers the law. They've had 20, 30 years on the job. And a cop will raise their hand and say, hey, sir, ma'am, you know, last night I had a domestic disturbance call. And the husband wouldn't let me in to the house to check on the wife, you know, and these are the facts that I had. Could I have gone into that house and pushed past the husband to check on the wife? And the quintessential answer from the, the lawyer is maybe. Nothing is more frustrating to a police officer that when they are asking a person who is legally educated what they can do legally, and that person is not given a definitive answer. Here is something that really, and you want to talk about disrupting, like breaking the status quo? Me and all my instructors have a policy that when a cop asks you a question in a classroom and they do give you enough information to make a decision with the caveat that, hey, look, just so you know, if you are missing something here, it could blow my answer apart. But I'm going to tell you this. Based on what you're telling me, I'm going in. And here's why. Based on what you're telling me, I'm staying out. And here's why. Cops love that because they need that. And that's something that that I'm asking all legal instructors to stop blowing off cops with their questions because they need guidance. And this is Yeah, you can't make a decision on a maybe. In fact, you know, maybe's is uh, like tantamount to insanity. I mean, have you ever been on the fence of something and you don't know what to do? It's a horrible feeling. Especially as a cop, because you can't just you can't go into lock mode and if they don't know the answer, how are they supposed to they're they're maybe have a high school diploma and never been the college and it's like they're so that's part of this legal training that I'm trying to do here is get them to make these decisions so that, you know, and hell, I got to tell you, sometimes the decisions are going to be wrong. You know, sometimes they're going to make the wrong decision and we'll deal with that. But (laughs) yes, but at least they have a reason why they're doing it. Yeah. I think this is fascinating as a citizen. I sure as hell would want and do want law enforcement in my area to make educated decisions yes. before they do things. I mean, I know many law enforcement. I work out with many of them in CrossFit. You know, my EA, her uh, husband is retired law enforcement, right? And, yep. um, you know, I, I've come to know a lot of them. They're really good guys, right? Absolutely. Yep. And they do want to do what's right from what I've seen. The vast majority of them. Absolutely. Yeah. Are the vast majority. The ones I've met. Absolutely. Yep. You know, I find it very interesting. I was part of a leadership team in this particular area, really learning about my community. And we really had to meet and uh, get to know the law enforcement in this area and do ride alongs, Mm -hmm. right? And understand what they do. And I found it to be very interesting that the ones, I mean, of course, they were very seasoned that, you know, I rode along with, but they were not interested in using force. They were interested in communicating. They were interested in getting to the bottom of things, not quick to pull the trigger, right? Yep. And that was something that surprised me. The new generation of law enforcement, I think, really does appreciate that the better outcome is one where no force is used. You know, sometimes we look internally when you see fellow officers, sometimes old school officers look at those new guys as soft, you know, they don't have a backbone or whatever. And you got to look at this. Maybe sometimes a person, uh, a police officer, I've had police officers that come to the profession. And when something went down where like an officer was in a fight for their life, they are hesitating. You know what I mean? 
And certainly that is a concern for everybody. But the point is, is a lot of officers today appreciate de-escalation and communication and slowing things down is the way to go. Moving too fast, being too heavy handed, A, can get you hurt or killed. B, can cause lots of uh, liability for your department. And C, causes your public to not trust you. They don't want to be treated like that. I do want them to be able to use force if they need to, right? How would you say that your training is innovative? I mean, you just gave me one aspect, but what is the disruption there and what's been the outcome? You've trained 30,000 police officers plus. Definitely over. I mean, uh, you know, whether it's online, I do a lot of live online classes every week and so forth. Let me just be humble here, right? it, It wasn't like I started this company and be like, oh, I'm going to change the world. I'm, I'm the next Elon Musk of uh, of search and seizure training, right? Never happens that way. doesn't happen that way, but it has turned into something like, you know, a lot of cops are, are really clamoring for this training because the way I say it is that I speak cop, right? I just have a gift, I guess, or the talent to just be able to teach these very obscure topics. I mean, you know, there's, you know, as I, as you said, I have books, you know, they are best-selling books in their field as far as search and seizure. But the reason why they're best-selling is because they just resonate with law enforcement officers who have no formal legal background. Before I arrived on scene, I got to tell you, like, there was no search and seizure book truly written for police officers. They were always written for prosecutors, defense attorneys, right? And I like those books because they're they're very in-depth, but they're also 1,200 pages. So yeah. my gift is to take a classroom of police officers, right? Let's say I got a room full of 50 police officers. They're all tenured. They all have the long in the tooth, as they would say. And to basically say, look, let's take these 54 words. It only prohibits one type of search or seizure. And let's break it down. I do it by my fundamental class is called advanced search and seizure. And I do it by basically just answering four legal questions. After we answer these four legal questions, the officers understand deeply, fundamentally, what it means to be unreasonable under the Fourth Amendment. And that's as simple as that. And quite frankly, they leave the class and they just never, I mean, a lot of lawyer instructors come in there and a lot of them are voluntold to be there. They're from the prosecutor's office. Their, Their boss is like, hey, the local PD needs some training. Can you just go down there? They're like, Yes, sir. Here we go. I'm going to be in front of a room full of cops and they don't really know how they're not professional instructors or the cops can be a tough group sometimes because they, you know, they don't like a lot of BS, but they also want their answers. And, you know, of course, the maybe stuff pisses them off. Or you even have professional instructors who don't know how to they don't have a experience as a police officer. So in a long winded way, the way I teach and how I teach it is the secret sauce. Well, it's definitely showing that you have familiarity with the scene. And I think that is probably one of the biggest factors, right? Because yeah. it's really hard to advise if you don't really understand the full scene of what you're advising on. What are some of the outcomes of the training that you've done? Tell us that. Oh, my God. So when I watch videos of cops, right, and I, and I watch a lot of them, you know, just to know what's going on out there. But I'm also, you know, my clients include big agencies. So I'm out there doing the ride-alongs just with you and just to make sure I don't lose touch with what's going out there. But when I see police officers arriving on a scene, staying calm, being professional, which means showing respect to people, no matter who they are, 
de-escalating when appropriate, but also, you know, keeping the community safe when it needs, you know, those type of things. That's my goal, right? What we call is a constitutional police officer. But when I see a police officer being unprofessional, violating people's rights, their First Amendment rights, their Fourth Amendment rights, their Second Amendment rights, when I see that, nothing, nothing makes me more upset. My outcome here is when I take these police officers, first of all, you know, I think I mentioned this, an officer can get a thousand hours in their, their career time easily of use of force. And on average, they get about 16 to 30 hours of search and seizure training. But let me ask you, right? Out of 100 decisions that this officer makes that are implicating the, the, the Fourth Amendment, use of force or search and seizure, out of 100 decisions, how many are uh, use of force? One or two, right? One or two. Like a two the other, Absolutely. The other 98% are all, can I stop this vehicle? Can I search this person? Um, do I have probable cause? Can I go into the house without a warrant? All those decisions that these officers make. So where that's what bothers me is like, where is the emphasis on that training? And officers, quite frankly, are very confused. You know, you ever see like officers get upset when people record them? Yeah. You have. You've seen that, right? I mean, it's kind of like less videos today. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, they don't like it. I mean, I wouldn't it. like it either, not knowing what they're doing, right? What are they going to do with it? Okay, but here's the deal. One of the reasons why cops hate being recorded, you've been like, Anthony, don't they have their own body cam? It's different because that's internal. Problem with cops being recorded is they don't know. They don't want to be recorded making mistakes. That's no part does. of it. Nobody does. But that's part of the problem. Why don't, where is the certainty? To me, my philosophy after I train these cops is that when they get recorded, they should be thinking to themselves, I cannot wait to go home to my family and let them know, hey, daddy was doing his job out there. Mommy was doing his job, her job out there. And I got recorded. Let's turn on YouTube and watch what a great job I did today. And, you know, that's the mentality. But instead of we don't like it and we don't we're uncomfortable because they're scared, of, they're scared of making mistakes and so forth. That's that's part of it. There's other reasons psychologically as well. The goal is for them to a appreciate the law, to understand the law, to apply the law, and ultimately go out there and police their community in a constitutionally defensible manner, where people see them perform and say, "That is the cop I want patrolling my neighborhood." That's the cop that if my kid got pulled over, I want that cop interacting with my family member, or or even me. And if I can share, I'm a little wordy, but let me share one other thing. Yes. And by the way, I love that. One other thing, because I have a lot to say about this. I just love this area of the law. But well, one other thing I tell your, these officers. Your main ingredient is passion, right? <laughs> it is passion. <laughs> but I share with these cops, I say, hey, look, you know, being a police officer, there's a lot of fun to it. You know, catching bad guys and, you know, you are helping your community and so forth. But don't forget that one day that badge is going to come off. And you're going to be a retiree, just like me. I'm a retired cop. And what do you want to live in the community that you're creating, right? That you're in, that you're policing. Do you want to ever get pulled over by a cop that's like you? You know, so I personally, if I got pulled over, I want a cop to be respectful. Even if I'm upset, let's say I'm having a very bad day. Let's say I'm having a verbal argument with the wife, right? And I'm just very upset. And the cop pulls me over, 
part of my speeding was I'm not paying attention because I'm so upset. And I'm just like yelling or being disrespectful. That's not me, by the way. But let's say I was having a bad day. I wouldn't want that cop, you know, talking down to me, you know, disrespecting me. I want the cop to be like, hey, look, everybody has bad days. I get it. You know, the reason I pulled you over is your speed. Let's just address that. You know, just in other words, we have to live in this community when we're going to be retired someday. It's the same thing with doctors and lawyers. If I have a bad day and I go into my doctor's office and I'm diagnosed with something, I start yelling and screaming. Do I expect my doctor to start yelling and screaming at me and say, no. hey, you better <laughs> shut up or I'm out of here? It's a great but example. All, but cops do it all the time. Yeah. And so because of the power problem, you know, unfortunately, it's that power can be a little corrupting. And I think that's part of it. But it's the maturity. In fact, I got to tell you, I wasn't a mature cop until about two years into the job. And I had some incidents. I lost my cool. And I, quite frankly, embarrassed myself. I embarrassed my agency. And after that, I was like, either I need to change and mature and realize what the position I have here, or I'm going to get myself in a lot of trouble. <laughs> well, so as we was, say in the South, you had to come to Jesus. <laughs> I had to come to Jesus. And after that, I became a cop that I would want to be pulled over by. So that's, that's, great that's definitely part of my mission. So before we tell our listeners how to get a hold of you, I want you to tell me what the future of law enforcement looks like. It's good. I can tell you it's good. The body cams are one of those things where there is a growing pain. Part of that is, you know, uh, I wrote a book, actually, when I was getting my my master's degree from Harvard, I wrote a book called Cops and Cameras. I, I think you can find it on Amazon, but you'd be wasting your money because it's so outdated. There's better stuff out there. But at the time, my thesis was that body cams are going to really, I mean, it's going to cause a lot of pain. What people's idea of law enforcement comes from Hollywood, right? Very, everything's very scripted. One shot the person down, hit the leg, blow the gun out of a person's hands. And people just don't understand that real use of force does not look like that, right? Real police work is, is unfortunate, can be very ugly. You know, if there's a, you're seeing people at their worst. I'm talking about the, the suspects. And sometimes you see police officers at their worst. But it's also a great thing because it's also being transparent. We do need to see these things because even me, I need to see where my law enforcement officers are failing so that I can help them improve. Ultimately, you're seeing cops come into this profession who do want to slow things down, right? They don't want to rush in. They understand that a good outcome can take time. Maybe if you're dealing with a person with that's suicidal, that's that's a great example, by the way. In the old days, when you had a person in their apartment threatening suicide, what did we do? Rush in right? Just get them in custody. Let's get them to the hospital. But the problem is you cause use of forces. You cause a, what they call a suicide by cop versus trying to slow things down. Because the reality is that most people will not do that ultimate act, right? They will, they'll come out and they'll get the help that they need. But when we rush in, sometimes we actually force an encounter that could have been avoided. But the point is, is I see that I do see police officers understanding that if they don't have a partnership with their community, they cannot do effective policing. You have to have the trust of your community. The videos also help that. Seeing officers doing a good job. The media can do a better job. So we job are too. going to have a less contentious relationship with police officers in our communities in the future. Absolutely. Oh, there's no Great. doubt about it. Let's but but put right that now, though, the well, the pendulum is law enforcement goes through these generational growing pains. It happened in the 1960s. It, it, those conversations need to happen. Things were going down in law enforcement that were not right. 
you know, we saw on the TV and, you know, the using the dogs inappropriately and just the other, you know, violations of civil rights. Those conversations had it was it was an open wound. It had to it had to happen. Law enforcement actually did become better for it. We have things right now, right, where law enforcement officers are being observed on camera, you know, the camera and so forth, not doing the right thing. We have to have those conversations. But the pendulum is on, unfortunately, the negative side right now. But it, it is and it will swing to their side where law enforcement does adapt. They are adapting. De-escalation training is just one example of that. And the trust is going to come back wholeheartedly. But it's going to take, it's going to take a few minutes. Good. Well, I will say this. You know, education is one of the valid therapies out there. And, you know, by doing that, you are raising the consciousness and judgment of our law enforcement. You know, that has a good ramification from what I very therapeutic. Yeah. Yeah. So how do people get a hold of you? Law enforcement, communities, city councilmen. Yeah, no, I I absolutely. And I'm uh, I'm you know, this is what I live, breathe. So um, I have a a few things. Number one is my YouTube channel. I do have a blue to gold YouTube channel. And I I said it for a lot of people who want to learn the law. I have over like 400 videos on there. And I answer questions from civilians, mostly police officers about what the law is, what it, you know, and so forth. The other thing is we have a website, bluetogold.com. We train all around the the nation and I teach lawyers, I teach cops. So if anybody wants to get a hold of us, there's easy contact information at bluetogold.com. And, you know, you can email us, call us. If you want to, you know, get my phone number, go through my assistant at bluetogold.com, call the 800 number. And then, you know, she'll give you the phone number if you need it. I'm sure, you know. And they can always find Anthony Bandiero on LinkedIn, right? I'm active on LinkedIn and so forth. So there you go. Awesome. (laughs) Anthony, thank you so much for what you're doing. Thank you for educating our listeners. I learned a lot myself. I really hope that in my lifetime, I'll see the new paradigm of law enforcement that you're actually have this mission for. Thank you. you. you I appreciate it. Thank you. That's a wrap, everyone. If you learned something today, go tell someone about this podcast and tell people to go disrupt their markets with a tidbit from the show. Thank you for listening to Disruption Interruption, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never accept the status quo. Because we live in a highly litigious society with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This advice is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal healthcare or financial advice or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal issue or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links. Do not create an agency client relationship between Joto PR and the user.